0: If you have your Bibles, which are not as good as my Bible, <laughs> you, you can open them up to John, John's Gospel, chapter 2. I'm going to talk a little bit tonight. We're going to keep just circling in this area that we started on Sunday about about being a passionate inviter and getting our burden back for people and, and lost people. and And I want to just sow some things, because I feel like God's wanting this to get put into our system. I entitled our lesson tonight, The Catalyst of Passion. The Catalyst of Passion. John's Gospel, chapter 2, we're going to be reading several verses here concerning Jesus. It's a familiar passage, because I believe in all of the Gospels, this event is referenced. And how many of you know if all four of them referenced it, it was a highlight? Because not every gospel references, references every issue in Jesus' life. But this one in, in John's gospel is good the way it was recorded. It says, John 2.13, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. You know the background of this was that as people would come at Passover time in order to uh, do sacrifices, they would oftentimes bring their animals or if they were poor, they just didn't have any animals. And what would happen is, is that they would go to the temple and there, through the years had developed this business of money changing or, or animal switching Uh, uh, Business in order that the people would come and have the right They'd have the right sheep or the right dove or the right animal in order to do sacrifice Appropriately before the Lord now it may have started out like most things probably Innocently and maybe even a good thing by the time. Jesus is on the scene. This has become a corrupted practice how many of you know if you're selling doves and people are bringing doves and you get to choose whether or not their doves are up to snuff. There's going to be a lot of bad doves. It became, it became a money-making endeavor. You just look at people and say, that dove won't work. You'll have to buy one of mine. And, and so it became a very corrupt practice within temple life. Well, Jesus is showing up at the temple here, and he says he sees this. And you know what's about ready to take place. It says, when he had made a whip of cords. And I love that little phrase there because Jesus looked at it, and sometimes I think we get the feeling that he just got incensed at that moment and ran at it and just took care of it. No, Jesus looked at it and said, I'm going to make me a whip. No, it doesn't. It doesn't take five minutes. He saw what was going on and he said, I'll be back. And he went and made himself a whip. How many of you know this was not some emotional outburst? This was not, not something that just triggered in him like probably it would have you or me. You know, if we see something like that and we just get mad, where our face turns red and we're just going to deal with it. No, not Jesus. He said, he said I'll be back. I'm going to make me a whip. So he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And verse 17 is the one I'm zeroing in on. It says, Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal. Everyone say zeal. I want you to know, zeal is a good thing. You know, you often hear the term zealot. And and zealot sort of has a connotation of like radical a little bit but zeal hear me zeal in god's eyes is not a bad thing they remembered it was written in a psalm zeal for your house has eaten me up wow zeal for your house has eaten me up now i think i can say with some sense of assurance that jesus had a passion about the house of God and about the things of God. And the word passion most of the time we use it referencing our emotions with regards to maybe romance or you know, you know, he since it was Valentine's Day, you know, he was passionate for his bride or he was he was passionate you know, for his wife or whatever the case may be, or she was passionate for her husband. And that's kind of where, where we are with the word passion. But, but passion, rightly understood, is the biblical word zeal, zeal. Now, let me just share with you, uh, first off, what passion is not. i want to go through this uh, fairly rapidly, just, just so we can begin to understand what passion is, because what I want to do tonight is I want to keep stoking the fire's Of Zeal or godly passion in your heart and in your spirit. So first off, let's understand what it's not. Number one, uh, passion is not sentimentality or affection. It is not sentimentality or affection. Um, Secondly, it's not excitement or hype. It's not excitement or hype. So passion isn't just, you know, you're just all wound up about something. Or thirdly, Passion is not momentum. It's not momentum. Sometimes in church life, we, we, we mix things up. And I want to make sure you understand what passion is. You know, momentum comes and goes. Zeal should never come and go. Zeal should always remain in your life. I've often said this to people. You know, when you're first like born again, how there's initially, I mean, if you really get a good dose of God, like when you're first born again, you know how it is? It's like you're just like, I'll take on anything. Sometimes you need locked up for about six months before we let you loose with people because you're just you're full of God and you're excited and you're passionate. I mean, you'll do anything, say anything, go anywhere. And what sometimes happens is as we get older in the Lord or as we begin to age and rightly so, we should mature. And, and I'm glad because I remember when I was born again and I got saved, I was so passionate. I probably did as much damage to the kingdom as I did help to the kingdom. Because I just, you know, you're immature and you're just excited and you, you say things and do things you just think, now why was I, you know, why was I doing that? Because you're just passionate. And as you get older, sometimes that begins to to dwindle. Certainly you begin to mature, and hopefully in that maturity, you get a little sense, you get a little wisdom, you understand how to work with people, you know, how to talk to them, what to do. You hope, but listen to me, this is very important. You never mature out of your zeal. No, you're mature, but your zeal should still be there. And our problem is we mature, but we lose our zeal in our maturity. See, we have no maturity in the beginning, but we're zealous. And then we get maturity, but we lost our zeal. And I'm here to tell you, you can be mature and zealous at the same time. That's what we're, that's what we're shooting for, maturity and zealousness. Now, sometimes people get this mixed up like it's momentum, You know, there's there's you you can feel momentum even in a church or momentum in your life. And what that means is, you know, things are moving the right direction and 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 you feel like things are going good. And that's good. Nothing wrong with that. I've often said, and I think I picked this up from John Maxwell years ago. He said, you know, when you've got good momentum going, you know, you can do wrong things. And if you have good momentum, it'll sometimes cover up the wrong things you're doing. So it'll make you look better than you really are. At the same time, if you have negative momentum, you can do a lot of right things and they'll fall apart because it's just it's just bad momentum, and sometimes it'll make you look worse than you really are. And and so don't don't mistake passion and momentum. All right. We, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting you to understand what God's wanting to fan in our hearts. Passion literally is the fuel of the spirit. Passion is the fuel of the spirit. Or it is what we call zeal. In fact, in the Hebrew, uh, to be zealous literally is synonymous almost with jealousy. When, when, when God is consumed with his zeal, it literally means he's jealous for something. He's passionate about that thing. And it almost connotates a jealousy. Um, in the Greek, uh, it literally means an uncompromising partisan. Or, as I put on the screen, one who has abandoned themselves to a cause. That's what zeal means. I have abandoned myself to a cause. So, you know, you've got, you've got uh, Muslim jihadists who are zealous. Isn't that true? Because they've abandoned themselves to a cause. In fact, literally, they will kill themselves for their God. Christianity is different because you don't have to be killed for your God. Jesus died for you so that you might have life and that more abundantly. Very significant difference. But passion, passion should still be in us. It's a compelling thing. See, passion exists when popularity is long gone. Passion exists when newness wears off. Passion keeps on happening when no one else sees it, gets it, or wants it. Passion happens on Monday morning, Thursday mornings, Friday nights, it doesn't matter what day of the week or what hour of the day, passion is there. It's not just a Sunday thing, passion is an everyday thing. And passion is the catalyst for the kingdom and kingdom things to be real in your life. Now, a catalyst, and I forgot what I put on the screen, Matt, so if I call out for something... Um, yeah, I did put it on the screen. Passion is a catalyst. I don't know those of you that are science teachers. Miss Shaw's a science teacher. She would instantly know what a catalyst is. Is that about a right definition there? That that you you put in two ingredients, and then if you throw a catalyst in, it makes whatever reaction in those ingredients faster. Right? That's a catalyst. And I remember in science they'd give us these things to do, and you know they make you do the they make you do the the. The lab work, and the first thing you'd have to do is you'd have to do it the regular way. And you know, you'd be stirring something or shaking something, and it'd take you almost the whole class to do this experiment. And then they'd show you it again with a catalyst, and in about 60 seconds, that thing would do its, you know, whatever its thing was. That's a catalyst. Passion, listen, is a kingdom catalyst. There are a lot of things you and I can do. And God wants us to do, or God will empower us to do, or grace us to do, and sometimes we just get up and we do it, and uh well, let's just be honest, sometimes it feels like duty, doesn't it? It just well, I know I ought to do this, and i I'm supposed to do it and and I'm going to be obedient, but it just I'll do it, But you get passion in there, and what happens is is a catalyst takes place. And what would have normally uh, maybe taken longer with passion, uh, God can begin to do things very, very quickly. A passion God uses to accomplish things in the earth faster than what we would normally expect. And he pours out his love and his spirit in order that we might have a fervency, in order that we might bring in the global harvest. Passion is going to be the catalyst for our witnessing. How many of you know we're all supposed to witness, right? Right. We all know, okay, we're all supposed to witness our faith. Sometimes that's easy. and Sometimes uh, it's hard. And and most of the time, it seems like it's a challenge. You get passion, and it it catalyzes your witnessing. And it becomes far more productive. Catalyst, a passion, comes in order for miracles, signs, and wonders. It'll be the thing that keeps his people steady and uh, keeps us moving forward. I'll never forget one time. And I'm just talking to Matt back there because, Matt, I'm going to lose you right now because I'm going off the notes. I remember one time that there was, there was a major outpouring at a service when we were on staff in the upstate at that large church. And I remember there was an amazing outpouring that took place. And I mean, God showed up. And whenever God shows up, it's easy to get your fervency back. And it was one of those times, I mean, the Spirit of God blew on our hearts and, and the embers that were dying came aglow again. And I remember uh, having to go uh, to my mother-in-law's uh, bank. She was a branch manager of a bank in the upstate. And uh, Tracy's mom was, was the manager. And I remember going in, and I was doing some bank transaction, and then she asked the dangerous question of the moment. How are those services going at the church? Now, any of you that know me, Uh, Know that my disposition probably is not to be, you know, loud or obnoxious. In a, I may be loud and obnoxious here, but in a in a bank, I'm probably not going to do that by my natural disposition. Well, I started just to share with her just some of the anecdotal stories and things that were happening, and I guess I was getting animated and I was telling the stories of what was going on in this. You know, we were in the bank lobby, and I was just sharing it, and I didn't even know what I was doing until all of a sudden, everybody in the bank had stopped the tellers and the people, and they were listening to this story that I was telling about what God was doing at our church that week. And, and, and suddenly, you know, as you're in the middle of it, you're not even thinking about it. It's just happening because you're just passionate about what's going on. You're zealous. But then it's like all of a sudden you notice everybody's listening to you, and it's like, oop, <laughs> like, oops. Or, I mean, do I finish, or how does this work? And I remember walking out of the bank that day, and remembering what it said concerning the disciples after the day of Pentecost, as they were passionate, and thousands of people responded to the gospel message, and when they were asked about it, these were the words they said. They said, we could not help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now, I can't say that I live there all the time, but I believe God wants to fan something in us That no matter what your disposition is, that there are those moments when you cannot help but speak the things which you have seen and heard. That's what zeal begins to do inside of us. Now, let's just admit 21st century Christianity in America. Jesus, help us. You you understand our current Christianity... In America, it's just really kind of casual. I'm not saying it's evil. I'm just saying it's casual. I, yeah, I used to say it's like we, we we now have entered into the gospel light stage. You know, tastes great, less filling. Um, but but what what was normal in Jesus' day, and what's normal in, in what I just read to you in His life? I'm telling you, we are light years from from what's going on here. It it says. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Eaten me up. And if Jesus is our model, as I uh, do indeed believe that he is, he is calling us to be a passionate believer, and, and out of our passion, out of this zeal, what happens is we begin to redefine even for the church world, because that's exactly what Jesus was doing for, for the religious world, because remember, he was coming for his own, but his own did not receive him. So he was coming to the religious system, he was coming to those that God had cut a covenant with, he was coming in order to receive back the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and he was demonstrating to them what kingdom passion look like and it wasn't making just a profit but it was a passion for, for leading people even into the presence of God so he's calling us from being nominal to being phenomenal isn't that good Don? I saw you smile every now and then I'll get a little saying like that from nominal to phenomenal from ordinary to extraordinary amen Now, I want to share with you, I put this on the screen. There are going to be three criticisms that you're going to face. You understand if God fans something in you you and you get your passion back, I'm just going to tell you, people don't understand passion. They won't understand zeal. I mean, think back to the day when you really got a good dose of born again in you. Think about that for just a minute. Now maybe maybe that 's not your story, but for some of you it 's your story and Think back to how you were one you were living one way one day, and all of a sudden you come home and something happened, and you aren 't the same person that left and imagine everybody and i don 't know where you went back to maybe you went back to your spouse, maybe you went back to your family, maybe you went back to your friends i don 't know who you went back to, but they saw you one day, one way, and now they're seeing you this day, another way, and they're going tilt because something is going on in you. Now, there are moments that people are gracious and they're glad for you and isn't that wonderful and you probably needed to get your life right and, you know, and that's great for you, it's probably not for me. And, and, you know, they'll patronize you. That's usually the best you can expect. But, but these are some things you just better expect if you get your passion back. Number one, people are going to think you are now a fanatic, fanatic now who here who here signs up for the crazy list i, I don't I mean, I, you know it's not like we all want to be thought of as crazy, do we? I mean I don't want to be thought of as crazy, but truth of the matter is, Paul was thought as crazy. in fact, Paul was called a cultist, that he was a leader of a sect or a cult. It said, I believe, in Acts 24 of, uh, actually, uh, Nazarenes is what he called them. We used to always feel good about that passage years ago. For those of you that don't know, I, I, I cut my teeth in the church of the Nazarenes. So we, we used to think that was really a good thing. You know, Paul was leading the cult of Nazarenes. so And that's they thought of him as crazy. He was called a cultist. The scripture says that he was of no reputation. They thought he was weird. Hey, one day he's killing people, and the next day he's fellowshipping with them. And they look at him, and they don't get it. Passion. Passion. I'll never forget. I forget what movie it was. It was was some, I think it was a Denzel Washington movie, and I don't remember the name of it, and that's probably the Lord, because you ought not go watch it probably. Uh, Anyway, because, uh, and I don't, by the way, I don't watch bad movies unless they're the sanitized version anymore, but, But I remember there was a line in this movie, I'll never forget it, because I was in the theater and I wrote it down, and I think it was Denzel and whatever character he was playing. But this is what he said. He said, there's something strangely liberating when everyone thinks you're crazy. I kind of like that. Something strangely liberating. Passion. They'll think you're a fanatic. Number two, they'll think you're unreasonable unreasonable passionate people appear unreasonable why is that it's because we no longer fit into the world's plan we no longer fit into the world's system jesus is not enabling you to live in the world he's called you out of the world you're you're following me this is gospel 101 that doesn't get preached much he's calling us to come out he says he says that you're 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 you are in the world, literally, he said, but not of the world. The Greek rendition there has an ek, which means cut out of. He says literally this, you're in, you're in this earth, you're in this world, but you're no longer cut out of the same cloth. You're not cut out of the same mold. You and I live in this world, but I'm not cut out of the same system. You're not cut out of the same system anymore. And, and you no longer fit. And because you no longer fit, you do things contrary to the way everyone else is sailing. Everybody's sailing one direction, and suddenly you show up, and you begin to just share precept and and you become almost a contrary voice in the midst of all of this, and you appear you appear to be unreasonable. Now the truth is you're not unreasonable; you function now under a new set of guidelines. You're, you're, a, you're a citizen of a new nation, a new kingdom. And, and you're unreasonable in the sense that whatever the world says, sometimes the world says this is right and you know it's wrong. Sometimes the world says it's wrong, but you know it's right. In fact, literally in one occasion it said that when the disciples went into one town, the Bible says in the book of Acts that they literally turned that, the town, the Bible says this, upside down. Now, you understand, we'll turn things upside down. And in reality, we turned it right side up in the eyes of God. But people will look at it and they'll think you're being unreasonable. You're unreasonable. And so, you know, you got to keep that in mind. If you get your passion, they're going to think sometimes, you know, you just lost your logic. And then finally, thirdly, I just said people are going to think you're out of balance. Now, you got to understand this is I put this in the south because everybody everybody's a christian in the south everybody is we live in the holy city everybody's a christian but here's here's the key you see you see you just you just lost your balance you need to be more balanced I've said this in years past, and I guess it's just a new season and some new ears can hear this. I always struggle with that word balance. Now, if you mean by balance that we need to function under the whole counsel of God, you and I are on the same page. But if by balance you mean compromise or tepid or lethargic or apathetic, you know, that's what some people mean by balance. They mean by balance is that they really aren't going to get real committed, but they want to be just committed enough so they feel like they're okay with God, but they don't want to get too committed because they don't want to give up maybe some things. You know, you know how that works. They're kind of straddling, and they're just being balanced. No, you're not. You're not being balanced. You're going to get hit by people going both directions is what you're going to do. Just go. The next time you go home, find that dead animal in the road that's laying right in the middle, and that's what you're going to look like. Either get in or get out. That's kind of my feeling. At least, you know, you aren't going to be getting hit by both directions. Balance. Some people think balance means don't get too excited. Don't go too overboard. Don't get too serious. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said these words. He said, you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm, and I will spew you out of my mouth. He said it would be better that you would be either one. So, so I'm just here to tell you, if that's your definition of balance, Jesus goes, "Bah, yeah." Okay, I guarantee, if you're walking with your spouse, let's just say, guys, if you're walking with your wife down the mall, and uh, and all of a sudden this this pretty thing walks by, and and, and, and you rub her neck, and watch that thing go down the road, and, and your wife rightly would go, "What you doing?" And you look at her and say, honey, I'm being balanced. She's going to balance you again up the side of the head is what she's going to do. She's going to recalibrate you with a two by four is what she's going to do. Because she don't want your balance. She wants your focus. Jesus don't want your balance. He wants your focus. Now, that's a good word right there. All right. How is it we lost this? Let me give you a couple things here real quick. How did we lose our passion? I'm going to go through this real fast because I want to get it back in you. Number one, I think we've lost our zeal or our passion because we have a lack of encountering the presence of God anymore in church. We do church, but we don't foster a moment to encounter God. Now, I'll just tell you out loud, I've already told Brad this. And, you know, we have certain things we have to to do and get done. And I'm, I'm cognizant of what has to happen at a church service. But I told him, I said, we're going to add a song for worship. We're going to linger on some occasions and we're going to foster the presence of God because if he doesn't show up, nothing else we're going to do is going to transform people, okay? So we're we're going to spend a little bit more time worshiping God. And I believe as we give him that even extra time in worship, that he will show up in greater manifested presence. And when he shows up, something happens in our hearts. It stirs our passion again. And I think churches have lost their passion because they've just lost a sense of God's presence. And we need, we need, as one of our, I don't know if goal is the right word or aspirations, is when we come into the house of God, we should aspire to get into his presence. Now, I understand God is omnipresent, which means he's anywhere and everywhere, and he can do it all at the same time. I understand that theologically, but you understand that there are those moments, practically, he manifests his presence And that's what we're talking about. Omnipresence doesn't fan your passion. Manifest presence will light you up. And that's what we're trying to fan. Now, I can't make God do anything, but that's why we come at 930, and we pray from 930 to 950 to begin to break through the brassy heavens and to begin to seek God together to solicit his presence. And so that's why it's a value in this house. Prayer is a value in this house especially pre-service prayer, because it helps press us through into the very presence of God. We lack encounter. Secondly, I, I think we've sort of fallen into the need to please man. We live in a people-pleasing culture, and it has birthed some irrational things. For instance, there's this, new, there's this theology that's come out that says this, I must be popular with everyone. Folks, that's not even in the Bible. Jesus himself wasn't popular with everyone. So don't look and don't think you're better than Jesus. If he irritated a few, you will too. They called Jesus Beelzebub. So if they call you a devil, wear it as a badge. For some people to call me devil, that is a high honor. There's a theology that says I must do nothing to cross or make people mad. Well, I'm sure Jesus was a real popular guy that day in the temple. As he's making whips and turning over tables. There's another one. If someone doesn't accept me, it means that I failed. That's not true. I want everybody to accept me. I do. And, and And we work toward that end. Don't want to intentionally alienate anyone. Not me. But you know, some people, they just aren't going to connect. And some people, well, that passion stuff, I don't know. Let me tell you, if you fall into the need to please, you will be put in positions where you will deny what you know to be true. You will be put in positions where you will make unrighteous concessions in order to make others happy, and you forget that it's always an audience of one. It's not just an audience of one in here. It's an audience of one in your life. It's an audience of one tomorrow. There's one person. Now, you aren't going in intentionally trying to alienate people. Don't misunderstand me. We're not looking for ways to somehow cross people. We don't want that. Nobody wants that. But, you know, sometimes just being passionate and consistent and faithful, it happens. And then finally, I think we've lost our passion because we have faith without conviction. We no longer carry convictions in the church anymore. Do, you, do you, Are you willing to lay your life down for some things? That's just not pastor's question. That's everyone's question. There's some things we ought to bleed over. I don't think you can bleed over everything because you don't have blood to give for everything. But there are some things I think worth bleeding over. There are some things that you put your life on the line for. I, I think, you know, and again, it's not an everyday thing. And my, my statement is you can't be a martyr over everything because if you're a martyr, you can only be used once. So it doesn't mean you can, you know, bleed over everything that comes your way. But is there anything you bleed over? Is there anything you have a conviction about? I'm just telling you, sometimes that keeps your passion going. Is when you lay hold of some things. We don't have convictions anymore. Now, you know, convictions aren't necessarily things that will send you to hell. For instance, I have a deep conviction that I'm just, I'm not drinking alcohol. That's just a deep conviction in me. And you all know that. You've heard it i 've been up people 's trees before on that, but I understand it ain 't going to send you to hell. I understand that you 're not going to hell, but having said that i 'm just asking, is there any conviction in your life that you would just aspire out of your passion to something greater as unto the Lord see, and we just lost all conviction in the church because we don 't want to be judgmental or we don't you know we don 't want to do something that could possibly alienate someone. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm I'm not looking for the lowest common denominator. We're looking for the highest possible obedience. Amen. So how do we get it back? I got about four minutes and and we're going to get it back in four minutes here. You know how I think passion is rekindled? I wrote this down. Passion is rekindled by desperation. See, I don't think you're ever going to get passionate until you get desperate. Have you ever noticed when people? When people who, let's say, were wayward or they've been away from God and, and their life's falling apart, it's because they got desperate. And they say, yeah, i got to get back in church. i got to get back into good graces with God. Why is it? They're desperate. I mean, we all know the drill. I mean, I see it nearly every Sunday. Someone will come and go, yeah, I need to get back in the house of God. Really, why is that? Well, if you probe a little bit, it's because they're desperate. Because if you aren't desperate, I just have never met non-desperate people that have gone after God. Even for me. Why do I press into the Lord? A lot of times it's because of some desperation. Desperation. So here's the key. either It's, it's, like, it's like humility. You either choose to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, or God will allow things to come to your life that will humble you. But humility will come. Are you following me? That's a little like desperation, I think. I think you can get desperate on your own or things will come your way that will cause you to be desperate. I believe that. And and out of that desperation, there's going to be four things, four four things real quick. Out of desperation, this is really important. The first one is awareness. When you're desperate, there's a light that goes on. I, I need something more than what I currently have, and you become aware. That's the first stage of desperation. I, I, I I'm in trouble. I need help. Things aren't going right. I need to wake up. People have been talking to me. I haven't been listening. Now I'm understanding. That's just the first. Stage. People think that's the moment God meets you. That's just the moment you finally got a clue. You woke up. Number two, you're embarrassed. Because at that moment, you're in a predicament of some kind. You're embarrassed. What's gone on? It ought not be like this. I never, I never thought my life would be like this. This is what I signed up for. I thought it would be better. I thought something would turn out. And, and there's a kind of embarrassment to it. And I'm telling you, the reason there's an embarrassment in desperation at this point is because that then brings humility. Because you either rise up in your pride and God resists you or you fall in humility. And he'll race to you. Thirdly, I think then comes frustration. This is the point you're really wrestling with whether or not you're just going to let go and let God. And and, and let me just also say this with regards to desperation. If, If you would say tonight that you're okay with where you are, then you will stay where you are. If you're just okay with where you are spiritually, let's say, that's where you'll be. See, because unless you're desperate to go to the next place that God has for you, unless you're desperate to aspire to more, unless you're desperate for his will, you'll never move. If you're just, if you're just happy and you're just okay and this is where I'm at and, and I'm okay with it, well then, you know, go ahead and build yourself a monument because you won't move from that place. And then what happens is, hopefully out of that is intolerability, which means this. I can't, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to stay at this place. I don't want to, I don't want to be in this position. I'm ready to go forward. I need, I need God to move in me. I want, I want something different for my life. I want more of him moving in my life. I I want his power. I want his signs. I want his wonders. I want his miracles. I want a life that people respect. I want my family to respect me. I I need a better future. I'm not going to live like this I have determined I am not going to stay where I am at I am going on with God that's why a generation had to die off and a new generation had to be raised up and to to go into the promised land because they were just they finally had gotten to the place they were just happy with where they were they weren't in Egypt anymore so I'm just happy and they had to get a new generation that said we're just not going to stay here this is an intolerable situation we are going into the promised land That's what desperation can do. And that's why God meets you at that point. That's why he says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst. You're desperate. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. I'm just fanning. I can't fan Michael too much. He'll... (laughs) He's always passionate. You're always passionate, man. But we'll fan you anyway. (laughs) That's what the Holy Spirit's doing right now. He's fanning those embers. Stand with me, will you?